Welcome to the official ABA Law Student Podcast, where we talk about issues that affect law students and recent grads. From finals and graduation to the bar exam and finding a job, this show is your trusted resource for the next big step. You're listening to the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Legal Talk Network podcast. This is actually the Law Students Podcast, and it's April. And today we have a chilling, no, chilling is probably like not the word, a smooth, laid back. It's April. That means that it's National Cannabis Month. You know what that means? That means we need to have somebody on this podcast that's in the cannabis legal field. So without further ado, we have the one and only Jerome Crawford. He's the chief legal officer at Pleasantry's Cannabis Company. Welcome, Jerome. Mario, I appreciate you having me, my friend. Uh, you're right. It's, it's, it's a holiday. It's a national holiday uh, here, here in the month of April, 420. <laughs> and, and like most people do their birthdays, we celebrate the entire month long. Okay, good deal. So I have so many questions. This is pretty much just going to be a conversation. Um, our backgrounds are very much so similar. Uh, you actually finished undergrad a year before I finished undergrad, and you went straight into law school. And so what made you go straight into law school versus just like holding off? You know, I like to put myself in 2008 Rome and I say 2008. Right. And I call myself my nickname. That's what I would call myself at the time, because I go, what would I have done had I taken the break right now? In hindsight, in hindsight, being 2020, I can tell you 20 different reasons why taking a break wouldn't have been necessarily a bad thing, but would have had a ton of benefits. At that time, I believe I was of the mindset that, you know, I, I knew going into undergrad. So I want to go to law school because I want to be a lawyer, not because I just want to go to law school, but I know that that's the vehicle, right? That's the hurdle that I have to clear. I'll say right. 2008, because again, I did that victory lap year, right? So I, I took that fifth year, which in large part was because I was involved in a ton of things on campus and leadership roles, and it was studying for the LSAT. So I took that last year to do that. And not that I felt like I had a gap year because I didn't. I just was I was the I was a college student that never took a summer class, kept a schedule that like, hey, once I'm at a full load, I don't need 17, 18 credits. I might have been 12, 13, 14 some semesters because that allowed me to have that extra you know, curricular activity or that public service involvement that I wanted to have. So I think I always saw it as a look. If I don't go straight through uh, the question, is, will I come back? <laughs> and so, so I was able to go straight in, man, and, and it was and it was fun. And um, like I said, I definitely do not regret the decision. But I but I can't tell you it's it's quote one's right or wrong, right? Like mm -hmm. like you made it for yourself. It all comes down to what's the right thing for your path, right? And I actually um when I tell the listeners, I waited ten years, um, and it was the best thing for me. I don't think that I was uh, personally ready or maturity wise ready. Um, and you know. With you making that, that bad decision, you know, you picked a fraternity that's not um, the fraternity that I selected. You know, you have to live with the choices that you make. You know, you have to. <laughs> shout, out. Have to. <laughs> shout out to D9 out there if you're listening. Shout out to. Shout out to D9. We got to give a personal shout out. I mean, you know, I saw that brand sneaking out. Shout out to to the Brothers of Achievement, Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. Indeed, indeed, indeed. As well as the Brothers of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated from the wristband there. And look, my, my, my best friend <laughs> uh, is, is, is a new man. So it's a lot of love all the way around. Good deal. Good deal. OK, so you get into law school in your first summer. You pretty much do what everybody does. And you did a summer associate position, right? Yeah. 
are you a first generation law student or lawyer or or you had people in your family that were lawyers? First generation. I didn't know what the word litigation meant till I got to law school. Okay. I said, what's other going to be a litigator? I said, ooh, that sounds like a cuss word. What, what that mean? And then I was like, oh, okay, got it. Yeah. That's so funny because I just thought coming into law school, well, when it's time to do OCIs and everything like that, and I thought that you're either a criminal lawyer or a person that just works in an office. And when they taught me the term transactional versus litigator, I was like, okay, we can write with this. Okay. I know. <laughs> okay. I'm, I want to be in the courtroom. So, yeah. so you do your summer associate um, position. I'm assuming you get the job and you go straight into big law, right? Man, if only it was that easy. No, we did not just get the job. And, and I should note, I mean, you know, you you raise it interesting to about the caveat of doing what everybody does, so to speak, and getting a summer associate position. But it's kind of the opposite. It's it's what people want to do. Right. I mean, I think what we get pitched in law school traditionally, and I should note as a sidebar, we may get there. I'm an adjunct professor now. So I teach in law school. So it's just weird. And, and the irony of me doing that is if they knew because I'm so radical, like I'm raging against the machine level radical as far as the amount of change I think we need to really revamp legal education in a way. So that go. means you turn in your grades on time. You don't have us waiting. A I do turn them in on time. That's right. Okay. Okay. Also, All I'm right. not here to profess. I'm not here to screw your GPA up. My, now, <laughs> unless you want to screw it up. I mean, man, they, look, help Keep me help grade. you. I'm, I'm a clinical, <laughs> I, I teach clinical experiential stuff too, man. So uh, it's been, yeah. But, but, but I mean, back to the question and it's like, I didn't know what a summer associate because I didn't know what litigate meant. So, mm-hmm. so I was very fortunate program through an organization called Wolverine Bar Association, which is one of the uh, affiliates of National Bar Association. Okay. Right? So um, there's a couple of them here in the state of Michigan and that affiliate in particular um, had a stronghold, if you will, uh, in representing, you know, black lawyers, judges, law students in the state of Michigan for over 100 years. I have the opportunity to serve on the board later and become president of the organization back in 2020, not 19, excuse me. And so having done that early on, though, you know, a decade prior, I didn't know what nothing was. They had a summer associate program, a clerkship program where they had the partnerships with the big firms. I didn't know and appreciate that time how fortunate I was to actually get a position through that because you realize it's a very tiny percentage of anybody in law school that gets the the OCI process and gets the summer yes. associate you know, gig, right? It's yes. even fewer that might look like you and you and I, right? It's and and with that underrepresentation issue, I think I realized in hindsight, man, this is this is such a blessing. Um, on top of that, I got that position in my first year, which most summer associate roles are. You interview the summer after your first year in OCIs, and you get them in your two L summer, right? So, right, I, that I got to get mine out of that first year and say, got the job, move forward. No, the firm that I actually interned at was one I did not return to. Uh, and, and it was an interesting because I did not get the return offer. I, and, and I, and I boldly always say that because it was a fit thing. You know, I was given the traditional, well, this is why I reason, right. Which was made about my work. Mm-hmm. that never seemed to say anything during the summer, but all of a sudden now there was work product issues that I later found out from friends of mine that uh, were in our partners at the firm and whatnot, that it was, uh, they thought you were a flight risk, right? They didn't like my, uh... how, how dare I go in talking about I love entertainment law and sports law. And for those that don't know, I'm an attorney by day, but I'm also an actor and a stand-up comedian, man. And so like, I, I wear it on my gotcha. sleeve. And so they don't care to hear that. We, we mean, I can't put you in a room and you stay there forever. And so literally, I know that was a that was the motivating factor, but it was also a blessing in disguise because I got to go into the OCI process, interview, 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 find the right fit. And, you know, a couple of years later, I began my career at Dickinson Wright. So just a quick pro tip. Would you suggest that lawyers who 
really or um, students who really want to, uh, I guess, sow their royal oats, keep that to themselves or just be themselves when they're doing that OCI? Be yourself. I say that with when reason and caution. By that, I mean everything and for everybody. Right. right. And I'll be clear. I wasn't out here, you know, speaking recklessly by any means. It was unfortunately the nature of that firm, which which touted themselves as, as a sports firm because they represented the Ford family, which the Ford family owned the Lions. Right. And they were literally uh, the office was in Ford Field where the Lions play. So it wasn't like I'm, you know, speaking out of left field. It's right. just the true the true meat and potatoes that firm was not what they necessarily touted and used as an attractant right it, it was yeah. actually a different type of you know type of law then again like i said it was a total blessing this guy the reason i say you know if if that's your mission to soy world oats or if your mission is to you know do certain type of work you know you you tailor that message for the audience but you still got to be true to yourself you know what i mean seriously because yeah. if you don't you're going to be miserable very much so yeah. well paycheck in a bag it ain't worth it i can tell you that it's definitely not i actually summer uh, um i had a split summer my first summer and i was like you know what let me be my real self at this place because like they're gonna have to take me as i am take me as i am because <laughs> i can't play this role for too long so let me just go ahead and yeah yeah right so you get the the job that you believe is fit for you you get out of law school and then you love it there and you're there for what four or five years? I love it. I love it. I'm there forever. Um, you there? It's the grind that it's touted to be, right? Okay. I mean, I worked in big law. I was a national law firm. They were half the size, maybe a third or so uh, then than they are now. So they've grown, you know, dramatically over that time. But in the day, as I told this to to a mentee recently, I said, "Look, there's a reason that they can pay you a six figure salary, right? Because they get." four to five times of that off of you. Just 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 multiply your billable rate times those hours, right? Okay. And assume they collect a certain percentage. That, like, that's what they're making. They have no problem giving you that nice office to you and that nice salary to you because they're going to make it. So my point is they're getting something from you. What are you getting from them? Are you getting real-world experience that you can tailor and parlay later? So going to the firm, even though I'm in-house now, even though I'm a GC now, that wasn't the goal at that time, you know, in real time. I wanted this firm to be a great training ground and get as much as I could out of them from skills, opportunities. So I really just kind of took my I took my career by the reins pretty early. I mean, I had a template email and draft in my box, in my inbox where I would send it to. Oh, man, I was, again, pulling to be a litigator. I finally figured out what that word meant later. <laughs> and so I get pulled in to be a litigator and, you know, I'm in that group. Well, thankfully, and this is a true this is a tribute testament to that firm. They let me go out and find other type of work if I wanted to, not just what was fed to me. Because, mm -hmm. you know, what's fed to me, and I had a partner tell me this, he said, look, I found my transactional side. And he said, if I was you, I'd find it earlier rather than later. And I'm glad you found yours. He said, because it took me too long. He said, now it doesn't benefit me as a partner that you want to do different things, right? Because I was always the person that like, not just cookies, I like cookies, cake, and ice cream at the same time on the same plate. Why not? <laughs> okay. I like dessert. Why not have it? <laughs> but I had to go build that. So I would go and reach out with that draft email to the partner that was doing the IP work. That's how I started doing Walmart and Google's IP work, right? I want the partner that's doing corporate work because no one's coming to give it to me. I got to reach out and show interest in somebody that's doing that and say, how do we work alongside each other? How can I be a value add? Because I'm getting, they're getting something from me. What am I getting from them? And just donating my hours everywhere. I'd rather be in areas and skill sets I want to grow. And um, little did I know, maybe even as consciously, I was building myself up to be a generalist. And that 
worked perfectly for me ultimately in an in-house sector. Gotcha. Okay, so we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. This episode is brought to you by the American Bar Association's Law Student Division. It's never too early to start exploring potential practice areas and building your network in the field. The Law Student Division provides students like you with resources and experiences aimed at helping them succeed in law school and prepare for what's next. Claim your full law student membership for just $25 by visiting ambar.org slash join. All right, we are back with Jerome Crawford, and now we get into the good stuff. Okay, so now you leave the big firm and uh, you go into uh, general counsel. So I have this is a quick question for me. What is it about being like being general counsel? Why are so many big law uh, like why is that like the holy grail leaving big law? Good question. Um I mean, mine was not overnight, right? I, I worked as an associate GC at my first company, then senior corporate the next one, then took over as chief legal officer at Pleasantry just very recently, right? I didn't start as GC here. Many people in the legal field are are title driven, I think, and and it's it's a nature of our field. Think about how we are how law is introduced to us when we want to apply to law school. It's very prestige driven. What's the mm -hmm. ranking of the school that determines my job opportunity? So all this prestige stuff navigates how we value ourselves for better or worse. Yes. You know, than being in a firm, I want, am I a partner or am I not a partner? Am I a senior attorney or, or senior associate or do I want the word associate? All these connotations get attached. I personally have never been title driven, right? I had other opportunities I could have been a GC years ago, just if it was just the title. But I said back to the fit. No different than that first firm that didn't quite work out to my favor, to my benefit is like, oh, where's the fit? Where where do they celebrate me? Right. And 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 again, go somewhere that you celebrate it, not tolerate it. Yes. So, message. Me, message. <laughs> uh, you know, what was, what, was, what was dope about it was that, you know, the reason I think it's touted. And, and, and I love that you asked that question. I mentioned Wolverine Bar Association. Right. And I was the president of it. And my president's year. I chose for my people that would win this like very particular award, like the recipients. I want to honor all of the, because we're an organization for black attorneys, who are the black GCs in the state of Michigan? Man, I can only find 11 in the whole state across industries. Now, is it some chance, somehow, somewhere that maybe is a person that technically is a small company and they happen to be a GC too? Could have been. But from anybody that was on record, right, that we could find, and I was part of organizations that were corporate council-based orgs, man, it was all I could find. And I was not yet a GC, but I was in-house. And because I was in-house and I realized that it is 
a title that is so rare, right? Even being in-house at, at, at companies, you know, is so rare. So I think that's why in part that it's sought after. Um, but the way people even get their GC roles is not the traditional way of moving up a ladder necessarily, right? I mean, sometimes it's a, somebody had to leave or you had to literally, every GC told me, man, you're going to get fired, right? My mom calls them home ec jobs. Like a home ec teacher never leaves their job. Like they're going to stay there forever and You'll be lucky to get their job once they right. decide to leave. That's right. Or That's why the move is a lot of times it's lateral or it's diagonal, right? It's not a, you know, oh, I moved up necessarily. It's lateral. You move up to a point, you find sponsors, allies, and the like. But yeah, I think it's celebrated, man, because it's it's so rare in general. It's obviously was rare for me, and I share that story about being part of a minority group is underrepresented. But overwhelmingly, it is just um, something that very few folks I think can attain, and there's something to be said about being the head of the function and having an ultimate report and responsibility and all that comes with it. But as I know, all those aren't created equal. And that's actually the class I teach is corporate <laughs> counsel uh, uh, to, to uh, law students. So you're navigating through this legal field and I'm seeing that you went to a PWI and you are in all these spaces. Have you ever felt lesser than or not equipped just by being black? Mm. And PWI, predominantly white institution. Of course, we can break that one down, you know, for all That's of us, uh, for, for our non-Greek folks in D9. That, we, <laughs> you know, that we is great. All up in our nomenclature. You know, that that I feel that way. I mean, I got used to to being one of the only, if not the. I mean, because remember, I went to Michigan State for undergrad and law school. So it wasn't necessarily abnormal for me to be the single black spec or brown spec in a in a classroom. Right. That was amplified, I guess you could say, uh, in law school, in some respects, it's the same. Like Michigan State undergrad was probably, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 percent at that time. And in the law school, wasn't much different, probably lower. So it was all proportional to me. To say I felt underprepared, you know, because of who I am, no. I, I would say it had, if anything, more to do with the great question you asked earlier in my first generation, right? I didn't have any lawyers. I didn't have anybody I could talk to and ask a question of and see, you know, there are people that grew up with my grandfather was a lawyer or is and retired, my uncle, my aunt. So somebody I could even talk to and talk about the LSAT. Right. Right. Um, I joked with folks recently at the ABA meeting, the Young Lawyers Division and HOD House of Delegates ultimately voted on a huge resolution that's been pinging around for a year or so. And y'all probably familiar with it, which is the, um, you know, our, our meeting a couple months ago and we got and they got voted on right at this ABA meeting. And it, that meeting was really important because it talked about LSAT and preparation and what you right. Call, right. And and, you know, the results that have since come down. Right. right. <laughs> at mid year meeting. Not, you know, it was tough because they've been trying to eliminate this LSAT and thing that is inherently biased. I joked that those folks at that meeting, you know, back months when I was there, that the LSAT made me think I couldn't read. Listen, listen. I thought I was illiterate. I'm telling you for real. I thought I was illiterate going through the LSAT. Yeah. I'm not even, I'm not even, and I'm not even a person that's like one of those people like abolish the bar exam or like, mm -hmm. um, I, I, I'm not smart, but I'm telling you the LSAT literally made me feel like I was going, trying to register to vote in Selma, Alabama in 1965. I'm not even kidding. Yeah, you, like, you really felt like I'm not supposed to be here, right? And yes. Again, but no, you mentioned the bar exam too is on record being known as a weed out thing. Like literally there's, there's written texts that talk about keeping out, you know, unsavory types and characters from the bar. Right. And, and Correct. who those directed towards. So it's, it's an interesting thing, man, that like, 
you know, that's why I say I probably experienced the most was like, damn, I know there's nobody I can talk to. What can I, who can I ask a question of and, and give me a little insight? I had to figure out a lot of things in real time, but I'm thankful for mentors along the way, allies, champions, people I was able to talk to, whether it been, you know, when I was going through the, the vetting process to get in school, to being in the firm, to being in my first in-house counsel roles and mentors that may or may not have been in my company. Some were, some were my report to, some were outside altogether. You never know where you're going to find that love at. But when you find that, you know, latch on to it, because like I tell my students, don't reinvent the wheel. Right. They're not listening. Yeah. Every single day. They're not they're not changing the law that no. much every year. Like it's going to be pretty similar. So even when yeah. you're in law school, like one of the best things you can do as a one L, talk to the two L's. Talk to the three of talk to people that just had that class and that professor and figure out the strategies yes. and approaches. Don't isolate yourself, right? And remember right. there's a community aspect to it. And that's how people get through life. It's community. Yeah. Okay. So you talk about um how the LSAT is and how it made you feel. And I have felt this exact same feeling. So quite naturally, I came to law school because of all of the social injustices and what I see on TV. And I'm like, yes, I am going to fight for the rights of the people. And you get in law school and you do well. And then you have all of these other uh, opportunities. Have you ever felt like, well, first of all, let me ask you, what did you want to do with your law degree when you first came to law school? Was there a reason that you went to law school? Yeah, quick quick answer. I mentioned I'm an actor and a comedian. I've been with agencies and signed for 20 plus years, almost now. And I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. That was my okay. job. So okay. again, there was, that was the initial pull I'm saying to it, yeah. So when you're in law school and that exact thing doesn't happen, do you pivot? What do you like? Okay, I'm going to just put this down the road or like what happens? Because I know a lot of students are like, if I don't become the thing that I came in here to be, I have failed or I have sold out or, you know. Much of life is and what we experience isn't just based on what we want. It's based on the opportunities that are available within that. Now, I, you know. A lot of folks believe you can create your own opportunities and y'all believe you can as well, but you still have to create them oftentimes with a landscape, right? And sometimes it's when the opportunity, sometimes it's not a no, it's a not yet, or it's a not here, right? It's a over there. That's where it exists. I, I never thought I'd be in cannabis. Like those know my cannabis story. I, was, I wasn't even that guy. And like, I just, I just didn't think that was a path that I never thought about it. It wasn't my history, but it became one of the, one of the biggest blessings from a career advancement standpoint. And also the type of work I wanted to do that you mentioned social justice, giving back, you know, that altruistic side at that ABA meeting, I mentioned attending recently, there was a, a cousin of one of the attendees with me he was in law school in the nearby the area. And he, he talked about what he wanted to do. He mentioned juvenile justice and being this work. And he said, but you know what? My bleeding heart doesn't necessarily match my bleeding wallet. And I was like, whew, that's heavy. Because sometimes, especially with, with looming debt that people might have on their heads, I know folks that have gone to public service fields that just say, like, I love and want to do that work, but can I even sustain a lifestyle? Can I right. even pay for these loans in a reasonable fashion and do that at the same time? So, you know, I say, hold on to dreams. I believe in being a dreamer. Got to be a dreamer. You got to gotta know what, what excites you, right, that you latch on to. But ultimately, how might you have to adjust that through the tunnels and the funnels of life, the life to kind of push you certain directions. So, you know, it's not feeling like you're a failure because I mentioned entertainment law. You know, mine may be not appearing as less altruistic, but definitely pure to my core and who I am. Right. And to this day uh, that I'm still able to do. 
ironically, man, I had never done more entertainment law in my life until I got the cannabis. <laughs> right? I didn't think I was going to do that. I mean, I was literally talking today, you know, with a potential uh, partnership, you know what I mean, uh, that we're unpacking for a potential licensing deal with a well-known person that y'all all would know if I gave him the name right now, right? It's in the entertainment and music industry about doing this type of brand like that. Those are the things I got exposed to. Little did I know coming in this space, you know, so never feel like you're a failure. Even if you have the altruistic public service, I want to do this. Think about ways you can still give back. Right. You might have one thing that pays the bills, keeps the lights on, but you do it through your pro bono, through your public service work. I've always been very committed to doing some level of give back work. Um, so it's what you do with your time that you still can be fulfilled. And maybe that's the way you actually build up the network and the context and your knowledge base. And for, you know, it, two, three years into the job that was paying the money. Now you can pivot. Now you can jump into that thing, you know, fully and more head first. Good deal. Okay, so we will take a break and we will be back with Jerome Crawford after these messages. All right, we are back. And now I think it's the moment that everyone has been waiting for. Well, I mean, I just assume this is. All right, so let's talk about cannabis law. Okay, so so you're saying you're the first uh, in your family to go to law school. I am pretty sure that when you tell your family that you work in cannabis law, they're like, okay, what's the ounce that I can have to not get caught? Or I'm sure they're asking you questions more in a criminal sense. No, that happens a lot. I mean, I think, <laughs> I mean, no different than you probably uh, can recall and everybody can of going home for Thanksgiving, your first you know, year in yep. law school. And your family immediately thinks you know all the laws. Yeah. Right. Like I know. Yeah. So hey, so I had this question about you, and I'm like, hey, y'all, I'm just I'm taking torque now. Like, <laughs> I don't even know that many laws. Like I'm figuring out <laughs> a few of them, right? But they're like, what about this law over here? That, that immediately family thinks. Yeah. Can you law. read this contract? I know what a contract I is. Just figured out what consideration was last week. So I'm, like, I'm trying to, you know, like give me a chance here, right? Like, right. I think this is acceptance, but I don't know, man. Like I'm stuck on the hairy hand case. Like Jesus Christ. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's right. it's yes, to answer your question, man, definitely that was because now you're talking about substantive. I'm talking about a specific area. Oh, cannabis law. Right. You know, all the cannabis laws. So what state doing this? And again, even that with a body of law nationwide that's small right from talking about operationally and then within my state is technically small it's still so much and so you know i entertained a lot of those questions on and, and yeah i definitely learned a lot and could answer a lot of those more about like yeah man two and a half ounces woo -woo, you know <laughs> <laughs> right right so you're in cannabis law so what does your job entail i know you talked a little bit about you know a little bit of entertainment aspect but what does your actual job entail so when people ask me nowadays what type of law I practice, I tell them it's problem solving law. OK, that's my substantive area. And that is because I, I've been a generalist for probably seven years now. And uh, generalist just means that one day it could be an environmental issue. The next day it's an IP. The next day it's a contract and it's a dispute. The next day we're talking about something involving, you know, the operating agreement and equity and, and investors and things of that nature. You know, the next day it's an HR issue, employment. So literally. I've been fortunate because I had all these these multifaceted experiences in substantive areas. That's what I brought to cannabis. Now, on the flip side, I was a newbie to cannabis law. Right. I didn't you know, know much about it. Our former CLO that actually recruited me in was also has been and remains a close friend. He knew a lot about cannabis law. He's one of the pioneers of it. Right. But ironically, when he took the, the, the gig, you know, here, he had never been in-house counsel. So we were like a perfect yin and yang for each other because it was like, well, I know what 
running a legal department looks like. Right. I know what, you know, the different substantive areas, if you run a business that the business is likely to encounter. Right. Contractually, if you have humans, human resources, if you have employees, what that looks like and and just how to run those from a life cycle. So we were like we were able to really complement each other. And I think we both kind of sharpened each other like that iron, you know, you expect to do. And now, you know, my day to day could be a variety you know, of these areas. But, um, you know, as you're also. I liken it to the fact that you are a business partner, like I tell my students. So, again, the class I teach, and I'll give you an example why I think this helps answer what anybody does in in-house settings, why in-house settings aren't created equal. I tell my students, they extern in different legal departments while they take class with me. So they, that's like their practicum and the colloquium is with me. And I basically give them what's the nuts and bolts of what it means to be an in-house lawyer. Well, some right. of those days are substantive, man. We're talking in employment law, right? We're talking about corporate governance, uh, we're talking about negotiation skills. Other days, it's the quote unquote soft skills that they tell you in law school aren't important. That's the most important stuff, I believe. And obviously being an in-house counsel, but I would I would venture to say, and I submit to you the same thing for being, if you want to be a successful partner in a firm. Because who I'm looking at when I hire lawyers are the people that actually get what it means to be a business partner. They get what it means to understand not just this one very narrow issue I'm retaining you for, but how that impacts the entirety of my business and what keeps you, frankly, on the on the Rolodex to get the call again. Right. And build that relationship. So, you know, my days, man, substantially vary uh, based on whatever, as I mentioned, problem solving law. What problem are we going to have an encounter <laughs> that we got to have to deal with um, and unpack? And literally, you know, it could, it could be I got a call on the way home right before we jumped into our podcast and it was about compliance related stuff. The, the one thing I'll add about being a cannabis attorney uh, for an operator. So I'm one, I, I'm at a company where we actually are a licensed operator where we have large scale grow operation processing facilities. We have multiple retail stores. So there's a body of law and a regulatory scheme, right? That we got to answer to. That is a lot of my time is navigating that regulatory scheme. So complex rule. Making sure everybody's. That's right. Interpretations. Are we doing it right? I don't know. The rule's kind of great. How do you know? They made the rule up last March. Like literally, that's what I mean. Like the body of law is so new. You don't have case law and answers to say, what's the, what was the court's interpretation of that statute? The statute's been around three years. Nobody knows. Right. So so that's that's the intricacy that, that we have to navigate. Okay, so I'm listening to this podcast and mm-hmm. I want to get into cannabis law. Not me, yes. mama, but the people listening. Yeah. yeah, I'm asking for a friend, mom. You don't have to worry about it. I'm not interested in cannabis law. What are the skills that a person needs to do or where do I even begin if I want to get into this line of legal practicum? Number one, learn how to be a good attorney. The best set of skills I picked up from being in big law wasn't the fact that I got to touch these different substantive areas and, and my practice is X percent this, X percent that. I learned how to be a good attorney. I learned what it meant um, from I was fortunate to get cases that allowed me a lot of client interaction early on in my litigation side. And then once I expanded outside of litigation, it was any substantive work. Right. And I started to work with the same in-house counsel that I now am that hired those attorneys. Right. And I knew I knew what that took and I got glimpsed into their worlds. Um, you know, I knew how to do good quality work, have attention to detail, because as much as people think that, oh, if I want to do this field, I mean, I got to do that type of work all all the time. You mentioned cannabis. A cannabis associate in a firm is not necessarily have a body of law doing this specific cannabis thing all the time. It's a lot of folks that work on cannabis work. Say you're at a firm, let's call it external versus internal. 
your outside counsel, you're dealing with whatever issues that come up. A lot of that probably is what we call regulatory or compliance based, like the licensing process to get your licenses, to maintain them, to interpret these rules that that, that are different in every state um, and sometimes every city. That's your value. Add. So if you want to be a good attorney, you know how to problem solve, you know, to help them with that. I would suspect and, and definitely with folks in law school now, there's going to continue to be more and more, let's call it internship type opportunities available. But they're, I get it, they're rare, just the same way that associate positions can be rare. Some are associate. Reach out to companies that may be either in your area or not in your area. And one thing that we lawyers love is free work, right? <laughs> um, and I'm not saying it has to be free, but yeah. at a baseline, find ways that you can meet with somebody. Another thing that lawyers love to do is talk. So you might do what I like to call the informational interview. Reach out to people that are at maybe a certain company, maybe they're in-house, maybe they're a partner in a firm that does a lot of cannabis work. Hey, I'd love to hear more about your journey and explain that to me, that type of thing. And what you'll realize, particularly for cannabis, because we're isolating you know, that narrow topic, the stories are going to vary so crazily, more than you've ever imagined, because you're dealing with a nascent industry that just started. You know, so you're not going to have a lot of the traditional stories. And, and I think a lot of folks are going to tell you what I've told you is about folks know how to become a good lawyer, because that'd be the best skill set that you can offer. Now, if you are targeted on a certain state and area, have connections in there. Yeah. Get to know the body of law, get to know the regulatory scheme that might work for there um, and then figure out just how can I serve this industry and add, add unique value. You heard it here, folks. That is how you get into the cannabis industry. Be a good attorney first. Thank you so much, Jerome, for coming and giving us gems. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And once again, this has been the Legal Talk Network with the Law Student Division podcast. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. Remember, U.S. law students at ABA-accredited schools can join the ABA for free. Join now at AmericanBar.org forward slash law student. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.